0: Good morning. Good morning to you and to you and to the future, those listening. It's wonderful to be with you. Uh, To my middle school friends over here, thank you for wearing your Star Wars uh, shirts. You were very brave. Yeah, a reward for you. You can finally cross off super handsome bearded preacher on your worship bingo (laughs) cards for the month. Two free spaces just for you. We are in a summer sermon series in which I say to you, "This this is the way. And you repeat it, thank you, thank you. The saying is taken from the diaspora people of Mandalore who stick to their religious and cultural beliefs while hiding from the genocidal empire. They do not believe that resistance is futile. They draw strength from that phrase, from their convictions. And even if there are Earth parallels, all this cultural background is fictional. Because as you know by now, it's a show about, from the Star Wars galaxy. But I have something to say about The Mandalorian. You know, once we knew his name, all of us were very eager to say Grogu this and Grogu that. Grogu, Grogu, Grogu. But I'm telling you, I miss Baby Yoda. He was so cute and so cuddly, just a doll. And here he is with rising college senior Cole Smith, Ray's older brother. Oh, that's cute. And as Baby Yoda grew up, he stayed pretty grounded within the light side of the force. Even if he sheds his green ears and inexplicably has an Ewok sibling, he's he's surrounded by good people. But lately, I don't know. He's a tween, he's all into sports, and he's kind of getting a little too chummy with the dark side. (laughs) Has us worried. So I wanted to publicly thank the two of you, pastors Dave and Erica, uh, this has been a really good sermon series for him, I think, because he's, he's finally turning back to the way. He still loves his green, though, that baby Yoda. <sighs> what a journey. Well, I think we can, can start with a sermon now. Some of you may have noticed we have one scripture reading this morning, or a very similar scripture reading, because these words were worth reading and hearing twice. The Apostle Paul writing another letter to that little church in Corinth, full of conflict. To the same people he wrote how love is patient and love is kind, it does not envy or boast. He writes these words. Listen again for God's word to you. For the love of Christ urges us on because we are convinced that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all so that those who live might live no longer for themselves but for him who died and was raised for them. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view, even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view. We know him no longer. No longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So, we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Holy and loving God, you call us to a high calling. We pray that our thoughts this morning would turn to you and turn to those who we might meet with your message of reconciliation. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So I started off this week thinking there's a phrase in this passage that is not there. The idea is there in pieces, but the literal phrase that I had in my mind is not there. And do you know how many times I've read this passage? A lot. Do you know how many times I'd read it this week? before recognizing my error. 10? 20 times? I don't know. Let's just say it wasn't until Thursday afternoon, after I'd finally settled on a title for my sermon. That's when I realized my error. And if we can do this with such a short paragraph of a text, how easy is it for us to think something about a person that isn't there, or at least, isn't the whole truth? When we regard someone from a human point of view, as Paul mentions towards the beginning of that passage, we are looking at that person with a limited understanding. We are comparing ourselves with them. We are assigning status. We see what others have or don't have, what they say or don't say, what they do or don't do. We remember our hurts and our biases and our grudges. And that's when we regard people from a human point of view But if we're urged on by God's love, then this is not how it's meant to be, right? The way to love is to regard no one from a human point of view. Instead, from a point of view of God who loves every individual. To see people from that divine view is to see them through a lens of love and forgiveness, especially forgiveness. This lens doesn't see their wrongs, or at least it doesn't hold those wrongs against them. See, 1 Corinthians 13, 5, love keeps no records of wrong. In this, we make room for others, we make space for grace, and this is the way, this is how we practice forgiveness, how we get along and work together. Sometimes I can read Paul's words in 2 Corinthians, or any of Paul's words, really, and think they're impossibly ideal, that only the early church could manage it. But these great words aren't even about the early church so much. They're about Paul and his team. Paul has to write these things because the earliest church didn't get it. In Corinth, they were leaving people out of communion, preferencing the rich over the poor, and not being generous enough with those in need, even though they had a lot. On the flip side, Paul is getting beat up across the Mediterranean for this message that he's bringing about Jesus. And he He shared that message in Corinth. He planted a church in Corinth, but they're kind of messing things up. And even so, God is gracious enough to them to send these words via Paul. Oddly, God is no less gracious with us. We've got the very same words. God didn't need to inspire more because we return to them anew in every generation. We can't view people from a human point of view or we'll never learn to forgive them. We can't view ourselves and critique ourselves from a human point of view. We'll never learn to trust that forgiveness is happening. We need forgiveness, other people need it, and we need to receive what's already been given by God. Receiving forgiveness, that's new creation. Offering forgiveness, new creation. The tricky challenge Paul is trying to achieve in the lives of this little church in Corinth includes overturning the value system of the Roman Empire and still making room for those people who think the empire is great, caught up in those ways. See, the Corinthians, they like to travel, they like to party. They're comfortable, if not wealthy. They have an impressive aesthetic. They're at the crossroads of global trade lots of rich cultural exchange in Corinth. They may not be the capital of the empire, but their wealth and influence certainly rivals the empire and the capital. Pretty familiar for Silicon Valley. And even though our relative wealth and location make the comparisons pretty easy between PCLG and Corinth, mercifully, thankfully, most of the time, The conflicts in Corinth are not descriptive of PCLG. We're blessed. We are a fairly healthy church community. Praise God. If you've had raised words with someone here, if you've had conflict with someone here recently or in the past, you know, that's understandable. We're human. If you've disagreed with me in something in a sermon, you know, take a number. That's understandable. We can have disagreements and still be healthy. We can have conflict and still be healthy. You can be disappointed by Christian community because almost all of us will be at some point. And still, I think we are a healthy people. We embody the way pretty well. Even when we are in conflict, I think most of us try to see others through a lens of grace and love and forgiveness. As best as we're able, we try not to see each other from a human point of view. And I think that's wonderful in community. And the next step for all of us is out there, right? There's a big step beyond forgiveness. And what Paul's talking about later in this passage is something called reconciliation. And what is that? Generally, not talking in the highest theological level, but generally, the process of reconciliation is bringing two or more things back into harmony. As a young Christian, people explained reconciliation to me as a reestablishing or a repairing of relationship, and it's that, and it's more than that. It can be. There's also a financial reconciliation. When you've got two sides of a budget, you've got to reconcile. There's a national reconciliation after a tragedy or a systemic injustice because everybody has to be honest about what's happened and how do we move forward. And of course, there is the individual level, which I like to think of it as the the prodigal son story as a story of reconciliation in process. There's the son, his older brother, the dad, it's not all complete, but it is on the individual level. That's where it sometimes starts. Whatever the situation, the concept of reconciliation emphasizes the importance of acknowledging past issues, finding common ground, and working towards a better, more peaceful future. It can involve dialogue, understanding, forgiveness, and a commitment to moving forward together. Forgiveness is included in reconciliation, but it's not all there is. And in our passage this morning, Paul says that in Christ, God was reconciling the world, the world to himself. I would love to share an inspiring story with you about forgiveness and reconciliation this morning, but those stories are really hard to find at the moment. Lately we can't listen to each other in this country or this world. We really have a hard time not judging one another or feeling victimized, whether we're truly victimized or not. Our perspective has become very human. Now the challenge and the blessing for us as Christians is that we're called to something else, something that doesn't approach things from a human point of view, an approach urged on, compelled by God's love. As ambassadors for Christ, we're given a message and a ministry of reconciliation, not a message of morality or a message of positive vibes or of self-righteous chosenness or a message of believe it or else theology. It's a message that God seeks harmony with and among humankind, a ministry it will take everyone to help with. Because in all times and in every place, we are representatives, we are letters of this message of love and of our Lord. Now, the phrase that I thought was in this passage was this phrase, ambassadors of reconciliation. You can see the idea is there, of course. Ambassadors for Christ with a message, of ministry, a message and ministry of reconciliation. The phrase just makes it less of a mouthful. And I'm talking about a specific kind of reconciliation. The kind in which God takes the initiative in and through Christ to make peace with humankind. God takes everything we can throw at Jesus and says, I love you anyway. I forgive you, but let there be peace between us. And that's the kind of message we're called to represent as ambassadors. In this crazy world, though, how do we do it? Start simply. Do justice. Love mercy. Walk humbly with God. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Wait for the Lord. Don't be impatient. Give generously to those in need without a grudging heart. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And if you've been here for this sermon series, I hope those things sound familiar. I'm just repeating what my friends have already said. To follow the way, to be an ambassador of reconciliation, we gotta love mercy and listen well. We must be patient and generous and humble and really, really slow to get angry. We can't take up all the air in the room listening to ourselves talk. This sort of ambassadorship takes a certain death of our egos. But in him, all have died so we might live for him. That's what Paul says. Now, the example of God reconciling the world shows God making the first move. God makes the first move. When there's a tension between me and someone else, when there's a grudge of some kind where I'm certain I'm right, the hardest thing to do is to make the first move. And that's the tough spot ambassadors of reconciliation get to live in. Sure, we can see each other from a divine point of view, but if we wait for people to come to us to restore things, that's not really being an ambassador. We go and offer peace. It takes courage, but it's good. And I think that's why our benedictions always start with go. We're sent to make the first move. If you continue thinking about this Ministry of Reconciliation this week, I wonder how you'll make the first move. May God bless the world through your initiative. This is the way. way. Amen.